So this morning we're going to continue our study on rest, but before we get into that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you that we can gather together as a body and uh, praise you and worship you and read your word and learn from it. And I pray you help us to do that this morning. Help that, pray that you help us to uh, have insight into your word, to understand what it means, and to apply it to our lives. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. So last week, we, uh, or two weeks ago, we kind of kicked off this study about rest, and we didn't really get into the, like, the nitty-gritty about going through verses concerning rest. What we did was talked about how to conduct a topical Bible study and how to do that well, and then went over um, work and just some basics on what the Bible says there, since rest is so related to work in the Bible. I felt like that was something that we needed to understand um, and so today we'll actually start like the real study on rest. So we'll actually start going through starting at Genesis and seeing what the Bible says about rest. Um, so if you remember last time, um, so I've got this fancy clicker. Yeah, and I'll try to advance the slides on my own. We'll see how that works. Um, we talked about how to do a faithful topical Bible study, and I've kind of just distilled that into these two goals that we want to make sure we do when we do this. So the first is that we need to determine the meaning of relevant passages. And so this really includes the first two steps of the induction method that we kind of talked about last week or two weeks ago. So observation and interpretation, those are the two things we do to try to understand the meaning of the text. And then the second goal is to make application and so really, we're making application for us today. There was some application for the original listeners, but when we do a systematic theology of a topic, we want to know what, what does that mean for us. And so that's, what, that's kind of our final goal, to make application. And if you remember last time, I talked about how it's easy to do this if you take groups of passages and then make application um, for that group of passages to your life instead of going verse by verse and trying to do it. So, for example, today we're going to look at rest in the Pentateuch. So the first five books of the Bible, we'll look and see what it says about rest. And then we can further categorize those verses into topics. So for today, we'll, like our main two points of our outline are going to be um, rest from work and then rest in the promised land. Because that's really the two categories that you can put the verses about rest in in the, in the Pentateuch. And so that's what we'll do today. But before um, I get started, I want to put this up here. I read this last, uh, last time. It's our definition of rest. And it's a working definition. So if you wrote that definition down, this is different already. And we're just a weekend. <laughs> um, so as we continue to go through, we'll refine it. Uh, but basically, rest is God's provision to restore us from our weariness. So this weariness can be physical, emotional, or spiritual. God gives us rest from work, from enemies, from turmoil, from misfortune, worry, and sin's result. And so today we're going to see two of these things that God gives rest from work and enemies, um, specifically enemies from uh, by the promised land rest. So um, before we get into the study, I just want to ask you, because remember, we want to know the context of the verses that we're going to be studying. And that, does anyone remember who wrote the Pentateuch? Moses, that's right. And who was he writing to? Who was his audience? Israel. Yeah, so he's writing to Israel. 
Um, what about the main subject of the books? Who was who the main subject? God, and who else? There's, let's say there's two main subjects. <laughs> who, who's the human subject that's the main topic that's discussed mostly through these books? Yeah, Israel, right? So you're starting in Genesis 12, Abraham and uh, his his promise to Abraham all the way through Deuteronomy, it's, it's all Israel, right? And the, fa- the fathers of Israel and then the 12 tribes and then they're in slavery in, in, in Egypt and their wanderings all the way to the promised land. Um, so yeah, so God and Israel, those would be the two main subjects. They te- these books teach us about who God is, the things that he's done, but most of what he did in these books was through Israel. And so we need to remember that as we read through. So, as I mentioned for today, um, the main two points are going to be rest from work and then rest in the promised land, and then finally we'll make some application for ourselves um, at the end of that. Okay, so rest from work. Um, there's, they're not going to slide in. You, you just get the whole outline at once here, so you can follow along. Um, so rest in the Pentateuch. So the first main category here, um, rest from work is really the work that we're going to be talking about is vocational work. Um, or you, to put it another way, work of provision, so work that you need to do to provide for yourself. Um, or even uh, a more detailed way is um, ceasing of non-emergency work of provision. And so this is going to be kind of important later when we um, get to the New Testament. For example, Jesus, when he healed on the Sabbath, that wasn't against the, the, the law, right? He could heal. Also, him and his disciples picked grain because they were hungry, because they needed food. That wasn't against the, the, the Levitical or the Mosaic law. Um, and even the Israelites, and Jesus told them this, you're hypocrites because whenever your ox falls into a hole, you, you pull it out, right? Even if it's on the Sabbath because it would die otherwise. But it's work, right? Pulling your cattle out of a hole is work. Um, so I think it's important to, to really spell out what this work is. So it's um, a ceasing of non-emergency work that it's used to provide for yourself. And so we can think of the things that we need, like food, clothing, and shelter. So food, you work the land to get it, you cook it to prepare it. Um, those are work. Your, your clothing, you, you make it, that's work. Um, your shelter where you live, you build the buildings, that's work. So rest from this type of work. Okay, so a few of these we kind of went over last week, so we'll go quickly. So the first rest that we see in the Bible is that God rested from his work of creation. God rested from his work of creation. So we talked about this at length, but Genesis 2, uh, 2 through 3 is where we find this. So it says, By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So God rested, right? We know that God is completely righteous. He cannot sin. And so we know that both work and rest are good, because God did it. Um, However, we will learn that rest for us means something different than rest did for God, because we know that God rested um, but he, was, he doesn't get tired, he doesn't get weary. So that's not the reason he rested. However, for us, um, 
Rest is because we get weary. And so that brings us to the second point, that man gets weary from work and needs rest. And so that's, um, it, that's heightened because of the fall. So in Genesis three seventeen through 19, we read about the curse, and specifically God's curse to Adam. And he says, Because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So if you just kind of highlight all the phrases in these verses that speak of the hardship of, of the curse, you'll see cursed is the ground, in toil you'll eat of it, thorns and thistles it'll grow, by the sweat of your face you will eat, and then, of course, the until you return to the ground. So it's your whole life. You'll, you'll have this struggle, this hardship. And so even though the necessities of life, the things that we need God provides for us, he does it through the means of our work. Um, and that work got harder after the fall. Work was always God's design, but after the curse, it became much harder. And we really see that if we go to Genesis 5.29, and we talked about this a little bit last week. So when Lamech had Noah... His, his hope was that Noah would help him work. Um, so in Genesis 5.29, Lamech says, um, this one about Noah, this one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. So he hoped that having children would help his burden of work. So has there been times in your life where you've ever felt like Lamech where work is just so hard that you, you need rest, you want rest really bad? Can you give some examples of that? Okay. Yeah. So shifts shifts in the the service. Sure. Anybody else? Yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, so sports practice, yeah. I think our kids maybe can relate with some of that. Do you think that things might be a little bit different in our day and age from, like, Lamech's time? Yeah. It's different. It's different in the same, right? It's different in the the type of work that they were doing, the physicality of it, um, and they needing rest for their their bodies, um, but what about like mental, mental fatigue, mental rest? Um, has anybody experienced that? Or, you know, maybe you have a desk job, but you've been working uh, way over 40 hours a week for multiple weeks in a row, and it's and you need rest really bad. It's it's just has anyone experienced that? Or I have examples of that maybe? <laughs> I see some fingers pointing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a great example. I think everyone that has little kids or has had little kids can um, relate to that for sure. Uh, the work and care that they need is is around the clock, nonstop, and it's hard to see and end in sight. Yeah. Um, whenever I was thinking about this, I looked up um, like we've heard the phrase, you know, so and so worked himself to death. 
And uh, I looked that up, and in Japan, it's like a really common thing, so much so that they have a word for it and, and a test to see if, if someone died, how much have they worked, and, like died unexpectedly um, and had no, no reason for it. They looked in to see how much they worked beforehand, and if they, there was a certain threshold above the normal, then that was the cause of death, working to death. And this isn't physical labor, it's, it's business-related. You know, they're, they're stocks and trading and finance, but they just work so much that it's a fairly common thing. Um, so even though things are different in our time versus Islamic, work is still hard, and we still need rest from it. Okay, so the um, third way here that... Um, hold on, I lost my place. Yeah, so man gets weary and needs rest. And so really because of that, we come to our third point, that God commanded Israel to rest from work. God commanded Israel to rest from work. And he did this in a few different ways. Um, And the bulk of our time will be here uh, today. So God commanded them a lot to rest from work, from Sabbath days to Sabbath years to different holy days. He commanded them to observe, and so we'll talk about this. The first way that he commanded Israel to work was by not gathering manna on the Sabbath. And so this was before the Ten Commandments, before he gave the commandment to rest every single Sabbath. He gave them this command. So in Exodus 16:22, and this was right after they crossed over the Red Sea, and they, were, they knew that God was going to lead them to the Promised Land. And he says um, in Exodus 16, Now on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. So he actually he told them how much to gather for each person. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, and he said to them, This is what is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses has had ordered And it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. It came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So earlier in this chapter, in verse 4, God said that this was a test. He, he was giving Israel a test to see if they would obey his instruction. And they really didn't do, do so hot. Even what I just read here, you see that a lot of them still went out on the Sabbath to try to gather. But even before that, they were gathering more than the two omers that God told them to per person. And so they had, and they had leftovers, which God told them not to have, and it would spoil the next morning. So they didn't really listen to what God said. Um, but even despite their disobedience, note what God says in, in verse 29. He says, um, see, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. So it's a gift. He's given them this day to rest. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. So because he's asked you to rest and not work, he's given you double the day before to feed yourself. So he's providing for them. And he continued to do this for 40 years until they went to the promised land. Um, So not gathering manna on the Sabbath, that was the first real command from God to rest. Um, The second command was the one we're most familiar with, is by not doing any work on the Sabbath. So this 
Once Israel got to Mount Sinai and God gave them the law, he commanded them not to work on every Sabbath. And this was a continual covenant. It was supposed to be throughout Israel's generations. He stopped giving them manna as well once they got into the promised land. Um, and there are many passages to go through here. Um, and so we're going to group them <clears throat> into a few different questions. And so we're going to ask how, who, and why. So how should they observe the Sabbath? Who should observe the Sabbath? And why should they observe the Sabbath? And I just want to make a note here. So as you're, as you're studying through a bunch of verses like this, you'll start to notice that they answer certain questions. And so that kind of, that informs the question that you ask Scripture. So a lot of times we'll come to a question, we'll have a question and come to Scripture and realize, well, it doesn't answer that exact question. It answers these other questions. And so let's just stick with those other questions instead of trying to force your own question. And so that, in that way, we let Scripture teach us, Right. And so that's what you want to do. So we're going to go through these um, three questions and go through really all the verses in the Pentateuch that talk about uh, Sabbath rest. So the first question, how should they observe the Sabbath? Um, so what should they be doing by not doing work on the Sabbath? So there's six things. So the first is they observe the Sabbath by not doing any work. That's Exodus 28 through 10. Observe the Sabbath by not doing any work. Um, so it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do no work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord, your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. So again, the work here is in view is work of provision, as we mentioned. So the work that you do to get food, shelter, clothing, um, or vocational work. And so that really comes to light in the second point, and that's that they should observe the Sabbath even when there's a lot of work to do. So you'll note here the work that he's talking about is, is tending your fields. So Exodus 34:21 tells us, you shall work six days, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during plowing time and harvest you shall rest. So even when there's a whole lot of your work to do, a whole lot of your vocational work, you should still, he's telling Israel, still observe the Sabbath. So that's point two. And so what did they have to do to do that? They had to trust God, right? When they had all this work to do, they had to trust God that he would still provide for them even when they weren't working their fields like, like it seemed like they had to do for it to produce. So the third point is that they should observe the Sabbath by making sacrifices on the altar. Observe the Sabbath by making sacrifices. So that's Numbers 28, 9 through 10. It says, then on the Sabbath day, two male lambs, one year old without defect, and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering and its drink offering. This is a burnt offering of every Sabbath, in addition to the continual burnt offering and its drink offering. So they should continue to make sacrifices even on the Sabbath. So this tells us that there's some work that is allowed. It, it's work to make sacrifices on the altar. And if you read through Leviticus, it's a lot of work. And so they were still supposed to do this on the Sabbath day. Uh, the fourth um, way they should work is to observe the Sabbath by not kindling fire in your house. So there's Exodus 35, 2. It says, For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. So there's an interesting, a uh, very specific way where they're not supposed to work. 
Um, they shouldn't kindle fire. And this is related to cooking. They shouldn't cook on the Sabbath. Um, this would be considered work. And so a lot of commentators think that Israel just ate cold food on the Sabbath day since they couldn't cook. Um, and that also kind of seems to be the sentiment in Exodus 16 that we read earlier about the manna. He, t- he told them on the sixth day to boil, boil it all and cook it all that day. And so then they wouldn't have to cook the next day. Um, and then the fifth way they should observe the Sabbath is that not observing it comes with disobedience. Uh, obs- observe the Sabbath without disobedience, sorry. So they should observe the Sabbath without disobedience. So they should, they should do it the way God told them to do it. Um, and there were consequences if they didn't. So we just read in Exodus 35.2 that if you don't observe it, you'll be put to death. There's an example of this happening in Exodus 31, verses 14 uh, through 15. Oh, sorry, Numbers 15, 32 uh, through 36. So Numbers 15 is the example. So it says, Now while the sons of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. And they put him in custody because it had not been declared what should be done to him. So there was some question with even the Israelites. Was he working? Was he not? It's, we're just not quite sure. Um, and it says in verse 35, Then the Lord said to Moses, The man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so the man's actions were likely related to the kindling the fire, maybe at a fire going in his house, I'm not sure. Um, but whatever the case, the work that he was doing was something that he shouldn't have been doing, and so he, there were consequences for that, for not obeying the Sabbath. Um, so these are the, the ways or how they should obey the Sabbath. And our second uh, question here is, who should observe the Sabbath? Who should observe the Sabbath? In Exodus 20.10, and other passages tell us who should do this, and it's very comprehensive. So pretty much anyone or animal that's working should rest. And so in Exodus 20.10, it talks about, um, you shall not do work, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your cattle, your sojourner who stays with you also should not do any work. So all the people and animals who are doing the work should rest. It's a comprehensive rest. And then you might know that even God commanded them every seven years to let the land rest. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, God really wanted anything, anyone, any animal involved in work should have a time to rest. So that's who should observe the Sabbath. And then the third and final question here is why should they observe the Sabbath? And so the first way that they should observe the Sabbath is that they were doing it to be refreshed. They observe the Sabbath to be refreshed. So in Exodus 23, 12, it says, Six days you are to do your work, but on the seventh day you shall cease from labor, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the sons of your female slave, as well as your stranger, may refresh themselves. So there's this refreshment. You rest, you, you, rest, you rejuvenate, you're ready for the next day to start working again. Um, you, you get refreshment. And, you know, this, this comes out, too, when Jesus was talking to the, the Pharisees and the, 
uh, the, the Israelites in his day, and he said, what do you say about the Sabbath? That it was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And that's the point he's trying to get across, is, is the Sabbath was for refreshment for man. That's why God commanded it. Um, the second point here is because God worked for six days, they should observe the Sabbath because God worked for six days and rested. So you see this again in Exodus 20:11. So for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Um, Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Um, So this gives us one of the reasons why they should observe the Sabbath. Uh, God set it apart from other days um, when he rested on it, and so then he commanded Israel to rest as well. And so the next two reasons that we that Israelites should should observe the Sabbath are ways that they should remember or or think about things. And so the first one is that they should observe the Sabbath because God worked. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, because God worked for six days. Hold on, did I skip one? No, no, sorry. Uh, so they should remember God who rescued them from Egypt. That's, so they should observe. Sabbath, so that they would remember God rescued them from Egypt. Sorry, I skipped a, uh, a point there. Um, so we see this in Exodus 35, 2 through 3, and Deuteronomy 5. So here Moses, this is when all the Israelites had gone through the, the desert, wandered for 40 years, and they come to the promised land again. And remember, all the old people had passed away, and these are all the, the young people that hadn't heard the law at the beginning. So Moses is retelling them the law. And when he talks about observing the Sabbath, he gives a, a different reason here as to why they should do it. And so in Deuteronomy 5, um, 14, he says, But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God, and you shall do no work. And if you um, go to the next verse, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out there out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath. So you'll see in these verses, we talked about um, different terms to look for as we're going through text, understand the meaning. So you'll see the word therefore in verse 15. Um, so that tells us that, you know, why he commanded them to observe the Sabbath. And so this reason here is because you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord God brought you out. So he doesn't want them to forget that. He wants them to think about that when they observe the Sabbath. And then this next point, too, is also a way that they should be thinking or remembering when they, when they observe. So they should observe so that they would know that the Lord sanctifies them. The Lord is who sanctifies them. So Exodus 31, 12 through 13 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Uh, So the Lord set apart the seventh day as holy. He sets apart Israel as well. He's, um, they're his people, right? His nation. He, He picked them. He's the one who sanctifies them. And observing the Sabbath should remind them of that. They should know that he's the one who sanctifies them because of that fact. They observe the Sabbath. Um, so that's the the first two commands for observing the Sabbath 
or, or not working, right? Rest or not gathering manna and then resting on the Sabbath. Are, are there any questions or comments about any of this? I skipped some of the questions I asked. I was going to ask you guys on accident. <laughs> I was going to ask you guys about, you know, are there ways that um, you could answer those questions about Israel as far as how do they observe the Sabbath, um, who should observe it, why they should? Is there anything that I missed or anything that you can think of? We'll talk about that a little bit at the end. Um, but we, let's, we can talk about that now. Um, yeah, Steve. Okay, let me look at that real quick. Exodus 31, 16 through 17. Yeah, so it says, So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. So you're saying that answers the question whether it's for us or not? Yeah, so we'll talk about that at the end. Um, but yeah, that's a good, a good verse to think about. Um, yeah, so it's not. Yeah, but we'll we'll get into more why and and how to think through that. You can't jump to the end, Ryan. God. <clears throat> um, so, any other thoughts on those questions, or any, any other verses that you'd like to discuss about Israel and the Sabbath or anything? Yeah, Aaron? When, yeah, that's a really good question. So the Sabbath is on what day of the week? Yeah, the seventh, seventh day of the week. So it's a Saturday. Um, so we're not actually going to talk about this at the end, but there's a, you've heard of Sabbatarians. So they're believers who kind of transfer the commands of God to rest for Israel on the Sabbath day, so on the seventh day, and they apply that to the Lord's day, which would be Sunday. And so then they don't rest on Sunday. And um, it's pretty popular in Reformed-ish circles. And so um, we'll talk about some at the end why, why I don't think that that's... Uh, you can do that if you want, um, but it's not prescribed for believers. And so we'll talk about that some. Um, anything else? So the third way that Israel was commanded not to, um, not to work was by not tending fields on the seventh year, so the sabbatical year. And so there's a lot of places where it talks about this in the Pentateuch, but I just uh, picked one that's representative. So Leviticus 25, starting in verse 1. So he says, The Lord then spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I shall give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its crops. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Your harvest after growth you shall not reap, and your grapes 
of untrimmed vines you shall not gather. The land shall have a sabbatical year. All of you shall have the Sabbath products of the land for food, yourself and your male and female slaves and your hired men and your foreign residents, those who live as aliens with you. Even your cattle and the animals that are in your land shall have all of its crops to eat. So similarly to the Sabbath day, the Sabbath year, they were supposed to let their land rest. And so I think we talked about this a little bit last time, but if, if you're an Israelite and you understand how much toil it takes, how much work it takes to keep your fields producing so you can survive, right, so you can have food to eat, and then God tells you, you know what, for, for a year, just, just let it be and just gather in the, the produce that it makes and don't really worry about it. There'd be a temptation not to trust God. I mean, there would, because he's asking you to do something that seems like you wouldn't be able to eat if you did it. And God knew that. And so listen to what he says a few verses later in Leviticus 25, 20. He says, but if you say, what are we going to eat on the seventh year if we do not sow or gather in our crops? And there's just like the manna, listen to what he says. Then I will so order my blessing for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth the crop for three years. When you are sowing the eighth year, you can still eat old things from the crop, eating the old until the ninth year when, it, when its crops come in. So God knew that if they let it just lie that seventh year, the eighth year it wouldn't produce well because they're trying to get it going again. So he had to provide them the sixth year food for three years, the sixth, the seventh, and the eighth. And God would do that. He would do that for them. I say he would do that because you guys know the Israelites never observed this. They didn't observe the Sabbath year. Um, and they got, there were consequences for that. That's why they were exiled for 70 years. Um, but God was going to provide for them. He was going to provide for them. Uh, so the fourth way that God commanded Israel not to do to rest from work is by doing no laborious work on holy days. So the book of Leviticus lays out all the holy days that the Israelites were supposed to observe, and specifically in Leviticus 23, um, he he uh, just lays them out. He has all the holy days there, and um, in most of these holy days, actually, if you don't count the Sabbath, there's seven. So six of the seven, you're supposed to do no no laborious work. And so we won't read through that, but just to note, during these holy days, they were supposed to be doing things. They were feasting, they were making sacrifices, they were, they were doing a lot of things. It wasn't so much that they were supposed to rest quite like the Sabbath days. They were resting to do these other, resting from their vocational work so they could do these other things. Um, and a few of these also had uh, gatherings, so it talks about holy convocations in this um, chapter, your, your Bible might say sacred assembly or something like that. So a few of these holy days, they were all supposed to gather um, and not do laborious work. So that's the, the different ways that God um, commanded Israel to rest from work. Any questions or anything about that before we get into our next topic? Yeah, Greg? Yeah, so I can give you the um, the order throughout their year, but I don't know the actual numbers of, some of them are very long, some of them are just a day, so it depends, but it's uh, the Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, 
Feast of first fruits, Feast of weeks, Feast of trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles or booths. So those are all the holy days. There's, there's a lot. Like the Feast of Weeks lasts weeks. <laughs> so yeah. But, but all through that, it's not like they had to do no laborious work through the whole thing. So he'll say like the first day and the seventh day, rest, you know, um, do, do no laborious work. So in, in between you can, even though like the whole week is kind of a festival week. Um, okay. So our next... Uh, Topic here is rest in the promised land. So, again, if we look at all the verses in the, the Pentateuch having to do with rest, we can group them into these two broad categories rest from work and then rest in the promised land. Um, so, before we get into this, what do you think about when you think of the promised land? Just what are some thoughts? Yeah, yeah, milk and honey. So, good land, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they were impressed with the with the produce for sure. Yeah. Okay. So re- remember we'll go all the way back to Genesis 12 that God promised Abraham land for his descendants. He said, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and your father's house to the land which I will show you. And so this land is the promised land. It's, it's Canaan, same land that God brought the, the Israelites to after he rescued them from Egypt. Um, and so I have here three characteristics of Israel's promised land rest. So the first is they, they, they would have rest from hard labor. So when God delivered Israel from enslavement in Egypt, he didn't just promise to bring them out of that. He promised them to bring them to a much, much better place. And so in Exodus 3, 6, uh, when, Moses, when God is talking to Moses, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. So God rescued them from slavery, right? So they, he, they're way down here. He didn't just bring them up to like the normal land like everyone else is living in, he brought them up even further. He brought them up into a really good land. So you can see here the descriptions, good and spacious, flowing with milk and honey. So it talks about the, the goodness of the land, that there will be enough for all the Israelites. Also, the fertility of the land, the flowing with milk and honey. Um, as Bridget mentioned and Ryan as well, the the fertility of the soil and the fruit that the, sp- the, sp- the spies brought back kind of sh- were examples or evidence of how good this land was. And so God was bringing them into a really good place. So while um, they were traveling to the promised land after 
the Exodus, God told Moses he would go with him to Canaan and give him rest. So this is really the first time where you see the idea of rest connected to the promised land. So in Exodus 33, 12, it says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. So this is um, Moses really arguing or trying to petition God, even though um, the golden calf and stuff had just happened, and God was like, I'm going to wipe out my people. Moses is like, no, please bring us to your promised land. And so then in verse 13, God says, um, I'm sorry, this is still Moses. Now, therefore, I pray you, if, you have, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. So here we see God telling Moses that he will give him rest. And, of course, this is an, extends to all of Israel. So Moses is the leader of Israel. And so when they finally leave Mount Sinai and go on to the Promised Land, um, we read about how they, they had the ark out in front of them. They were going towards the Promised Land. In Numbers 10.23, it says, Thus they set out from the mountain of the Lord three days' journey, with the ark of the covenant of the Lord journeying in front of them for three days, to seek out a resting place for them. So that's what they were going to do. They are going to find a resting place. Um, so God promised this land for them, this good and spacious land that's fertile, um, and he would give them rest from the hard labor that they had in Egypt, also the hard labor if they were to be tending unfertile soil. Um, he was bringing them to a good place. And if you look at Nehemiah 9, it, it kind of has a concise history of Israel, and they talk exactly about what Ryan was talking about. When they went into the land, it says they took possession of houses full of every good thing, right, because other people had lived there. Hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. Um, so they ate, were filled, and grew fat, and reveled in God's great goodness. <laughs> it shows you how fertile the land is, how much they could rest. They, they ate and grew fat, right? Um, now, the, the very next verse says how they disobeyed God. They disobeyed God in a lot of things, and it went downhill after that. Um, but God provided for them so that they could rest. Um, so God gave them rest from hard labor. Uh, the second thing that God gave them rest from uh, were their enemies, rest from their enemies. So security in the land you possess can really only be ensured if God's the one that's protecting you, right? If he's the one who who has said that he's not going to let your enemies overtake you. Um, you know, that's, there's evidence of that if you just look in history at the, the world powers and how they, they rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall. Um, this was something that God promised Israel that they would have rest from their enemies. Um, so if you look at Deuteronomy 12.10, it says, when you cross the Jordan and live in the land which the Lord your God has given you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies around you so that you live in security. So there's this idea that they will be secure in their borders. The, um, their enemies won't come after them. They won't always be fighting. They'll have rest from that. And then in Deuteronomy 25:19, 19, 
It says, therefore it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you. So there's a connection of land to the rest from their enemies. Um, in the land that the Lord God gives you as an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget. So God's telling them to, to, to finish what they started when they go into the promised land and, and taking everyone out. Um, so God would give rest them rest from their enemies. And of course, this would entail their security, the peace that they would have from not fighting, a rest from war. Um, even if there were threats against them, if you go look at Deuteronomy 28, we won't read it, but it talks about uh, the blessings for obedience. And just read the things that God was going to do for Israel if they would obey him. It's, it's fascinating. He says that if any enemies would even try, they'd be so easily wiped out. God was going to protect them that all the other nations on the earth would be afraid of Israel. So that's what God offered Israel. Um, but this promise of prosperity and rest had conditions, and so that brings us to our third point here, that there were conditions of their rest. Um, so God told them that you could have this rest from hard labor, you could have this rest from your enemies, but you have to obey me. If they didn't obey God, he would remove their rest. And so Deuteronomy 28, uh, 58 talks about that. It says, if you are not careful to observe all the words of this law, which are written in this book, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, even severe and lasting plagues and miserable and chronic sickness. And if you jump down to verse 63 there, it says, it shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you and multiply you, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you, and you will be torn from the land where you are entering to possess it. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which you or your fathers have not known. Among those nations you shall, what? Find no rest. There will be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes, and despair of soul. So God would remove their rest if they didn't obey. Also, if they didn't obey, God would, uh, wouldn't secure them and they um, they would have their enemies rise up again against them <clears throat> so the the rest could be secure they could have all this and have it have it lasting if they would obey but they didn't um, and so we'll get into that more next time we'll go through kind of rest in the life of Israel so hopefully we'll try to get through the whole rest of the Old Testament um, and what it says about rest. Yeah, Steve. Uh, Deuteronomy 28, 58 through 65. So yeah, so we'll, we'll talk more about what this looked like, how it played out in the life of Israel, this, um, their promised land rest, and even their Sabbath rest, and sabbatical year rest, and what that all looked like. Um, but the last thing that I wanted to talk about, and this is what, what Ryan was uh, getting at, is how does this all apply to us? How does this apply to us? So one of the first questions we can ask is, what does this teach us about God? So who God is, his character, what does it teach us about man? And so let's start there, and I'll ask, I'll ask you. So what does all this, what does it teach us about who God is or who man is? Jesse? 
Can you say that again? Yeah. Yeah, so he knows us and he knows what we need. And, and he cares enough to, to help, right? Yeah. Somebody else over here said something. Yeah. Yeah, rest in him. And the, one of the main reason, ways we see that is the provision that he gave us in our rest, right? We, we need him to be able to rest. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it takes faith and trust. Yeah. Yeah, well, not, not as much as Ryan did, because we'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So we'll, yeah. yeah and he, he had, he, that was his invitation, right? Come all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Yeah. How about uh, man? What, what do these passages tell us about who man is? Some, some truths outside of who Israel is. Right? What does this teach us about man? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's, it's hard, right? It's hard for us to trust God. Um, especially when he asks us to do things that are really difficult. And a lot of times that's motivated by something else, not just work for work's sake. But we read in Ecclesiastes last time about, um, you know, working so that you can have a lot of money, so you can have a lot of things, so that you can experience a lot of different things. There's this, you know, we, we have these idols, really, that we put in our lives, and it, it drives us to work more than we should. Yeah, because when it comes down to it, and we, I don't know if we ever talk about this specifically, but God, yeah, we did last time. God created us to work. He created us, put us in the garden, told us to work. So, yeah, it's, it's good for us. Um, so, yeah, so rest is good is another thing that we can pull from this. God did it. Um, he commanded man to do it for man's good. Man needs rest because he becomes weary from work. Um, God desires man to rest. You know, he, even though there's not a command specifically for us to do it a certain amount of time as believers, that we see the value in rest and that God desires man to take it, 
right, in all these commands that we see. Um, and then also, yeah, God is gracious and cares for his people. We, we talked about that. Um, okay, so let's talk about the, the question that came up, you know, should we obey the Sabbath um, as Gentiles? So raise your hand if you think no. Raise your hand if you think yes. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with that. So Marvin said we still need rest, and I agree. We do still need rest. We're, we're the same bodies that the Israelites were. Um, we still need rest. We still get weary. Um, so part of this comes from, you know, how we, how we read Scripture and how we look at who wrote the book, who we wrote it to, and then if there's any connection between that and then uh, New Testament commands for the church. So like if you look through um, the epistles, for example, are there commands for us to do this, to obey the Sabbath there? And so that's kind of how we, how we think through this. So first of all, like Ryan said, these books were written to Israel. The command was to Israel, not to the church. And so that's our first key is that the command wasn't to us. Um, but also, if we look in the New Testament, you can see, for example, Colossians 2.16 and 17. So you can turn there if you want. <clears throat> so Colossians 2.16 through 17, there, it says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink, in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so the point here is that if you want to rest on the seventh day, go ahead and do it. But don't judge another believer because they don't do it, because it's not prescribed. That's what it comes down to. It's not prescribed for us. Um, rest is good if you want to take the whole Saturday and rest then go for it Um, but it's not prescribed for us and so as we get as we kind of march through scripture and we get into the New Testament we'll talk about this more Um, so my plan going forward and this this might change but um, we'll try to get through the rest of the Old Testament next time and then we'll look at rest in the early church rest in the gospels and then rest in the early church and like wrap it all up with a systematic theology of rest final lesson. Um, but actually, I do have one more point before we close. Um, so promised land rest. So that's the next um, application for us today. And really, um, Hebrews, well, Psalm 95 and Hebrews 4 makes a bridge from promised land, um, the rest that they got to us. And so, again, we'll get into that more when we get into the New Testament. Um, But just to let you know, God gave his people Israel the promised land where they had rest from their enemies. Um, Hebrews 4 connects two things. So that God giving Israel the promised land, but not letting the older generation enter that because of disbelief. So that's point one. And two, that believers who are diligent to keep their faith to the end make it to God's rest. 
where they can fully and eternally rest from their works, just as God rested from his work of creation. And so he uses, the author of Hebrews uses Psalm 95 to kind of back that up because David, who wrote the psalm, tells his audience, um, he says, today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And he relates it to those who disbelieved who didn't enter the promised land. And so he's saying there's still a chance. That promised land there's, a, there's another rest. It's not just the promised land rest. There's another rest. Today, if you harden your hearts, they were in the promised land, right? David, when he wrote this. There's another rest. Don't harden your hearts like them so that you can enter this rest. And then the author of Hebrews takes that and says, believers can enter that rest as well. Um, so that's, that's a connection there. And so, like I said, we'll discuss this more in a few weeks. And so now I'll close this in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your care for us. Uh, I'm thankful that you know us, that you know the things that we need, and that you've shown that in your care for the Israelites, how you commanded them to rest because you knew that they needed it. Father, I pray that you would help us as well um, to take the rest when we need it, even though there's not a certain time period commanded for us to do that. Uh, The principle is still there that we grow weary of work, and that we need to rest. So I pray that you help us to do that well and with wisdom. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.